listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Morning, church. How many excited about today? You excited about being here at church today? It's the third part of our series, The Good News Gospel, and uh, take something out to take notes with. If you don't have a Bible with you today, could you just lift your hand up in the air? We have ushers that would love to serve you with a Bible, and uh, go ahead, lift your hands right now. Go ahead, lift them, and ushers are going to get you a Bible right now, and you can have that Bible and just tell all your friends that you stole it from New Chapel. That's just like my favorite thing. So uh, enjoy that. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, if you would. You know, in this series, we've been taking people on a spiritual journey and trying to take our time over four weeks to show you the good news gospel. It's not one-dimensional. It has depth to it. And the good news that God has for you, yes, it is about getting saved, turn on to God, but God has more for you on the other side of it all. Can I get an amen, church? And so uh, I want to show you this story in Exodus chapter 6. Uh, if you forgot, the, the story really shows Moses working with God to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery. And he's sent by God to go there. And when he goes, he's, he's speaking on behalf of God to the children of Israel. And when he does that, he gives them four I will statements. This is what it says in Exodus 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. To the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the four I will statements, it's almost like a husband and, and a wife like making covenant at an altar together. It's like I do, you know. And what he's doing is he's, he's really consummating this relationship in covenant with them. The first thing he says is, I will bring you out. And what we said was that this really coincides with salvation. This is, this is the saving, being born again, being saved, we would say. It's the, it's the Bible word, being saved. And, and that's a huge part of, of God's plan for you. John Vanderwall, good to see you. My gosh, welcome back to church. Welcome out of hiding. You look good. Any single ladies in the house, John Vanderwall will be a catch for you. Just telling you, trying to help you. That's at least worth another 20 in the offering plate. I'm just telling you, John, <laughs> if I recommend you. Anyway, praise the Lord. Jesus, come back in the room. Okay. And so <laughs> I will bring you out is talking about salvation. Yeah. The second thing that he says is I will free you. How many of y'all loved last week with Pastor Eric? Were you here for that? Wasn't that awesome? I love that. And, and Pastor Eric is my father-in-law. And uh, man, he's a good preacher of the gospel. For everything that I am as a pastor, he's the opposite of that. And you think, well, that's just a negative. No, man, we need to have balance. We need people that are different than us. His pastoral gift is awesome, and I heard that message was just kicked butt. But the concept is that God wants to free us. He wants to deliver us from the junk that we've been living in. You know, just like with Egypt, Moses and God delivered them from Egypt, but then God had to work to get Egypt out of them. You know what I'm saying? 
I've been hanging around southern people for the last week, and there's an old saying that Texans will say, you can take the boy out of Texas, but you can't take Texas out of the boy. You know, I mean, that's, that's the saying. And, you know, we get that concept, right, because there's things that are in us. In, in the same way, there's things that have become part of us that really they just look like the world, and God wants to take that junk out of us. And then he says, I will redeem you. This is the Bible word redemption, obviously. This is where God wants to take us back to something great. We'll talk about that today. And then he says, I will take you as my own people. This is fulfillment. This is where God wants to take you to the spot where you are making a difference with other people in community, a spiritual community together. You have friendship, camaraderie, accountability, and you're making an impact on this world. There's nothing more fulfilling than knowing where you're supposed to be and knowing what you're supposed to be doing, and you're in the center of God's will. Guys, that's fulfillment. And next week, we're going to talk about that. Now, the good news gospel takes a whole month really to show in an accurate way. You can give the gospel in three minutes. I'm taking a month, classic Pastor Joe. But let me just tell you that these four things, the spiritual journey that God wants us to go on, it's really the heart of the vision here at New Chapel, which is this, that we're for people to connect with God and to be raised to new life in Christ. What are you all about here at New Chapel? We're for people to connect with God, make that relationship. We want them to connect with God. That's that first step, salvation. We want them to connect with God. That's that fourth step, making a difference so people connect with God. So you're helping that. We want them to be raised to new life in Christ. What does that mean? Well, we want people to be obviously at a spot of deliverance, getting the world out of them, but at a spot of redemption, not just the negative where Jesus took my sin, he took this. Well, now he's adding two as well. So we want them to be raised to new life in Christ. Now listen to me. Every Christian, in fact, I would even argue that people that are not saved yet, they're on the spiritual journey at some point. I mean, they might not have hit step one yet, but like the, God has them. He's working with them. He's bringing people into their lives to bring them along all four of these steps, salvation and deliverance and redemption and, and making a difference, that fulfillment component. And we asked you two questions the first week in the series. The first one is, am I moving? Am I moving to my next step? Am I on a journey? Am I growing in my faith? Am I becoming who God's called me to be? And then the second question uh, pairs with it, what is my next step? If, if I'm supposed to be moving, if God has more for me, awesome, what is that? What am I supposed to be doing? Maybe for somebody today, your next step is to accept Jesus, to, to make him Lord of your life, to, to say, God, I give it all to you, and I'm, I'm tired of doing things my own way. It's that saved peace. Maybe for you in the room, uh, you're a person who you were saved, you were on fire for God, you attended Sunday school, you didn't lose your salvation, but you lost touch with God. And you need to re-up your commitment to him and avoid rite and ritual and all the, the things that you're supposed to do to make God happy and get into relationship with Jesus and really experience God. Maybe you're a person in here and you need to be water baptized. That's your next step. Or you need to find your gifts and talents, begin to serve, share your faith. Maybe your next step is to bring someone to church or, or, or model Christian leadership. Maybe in your home or your business, model Christian leadership here at church. Help us lead this ship through the seas, everybody. And so God has a next step for everybody, a next step for everybody. And, and, and you need to take that step and work it, work the process that God has for you. It's not my job to tell you what your next step is. And a lot of people in Western Michigan, they want to go to the pastor so I can spoon feed you and push on your chest so you can breathe. That's not my calling. 
That's not what pastors are supposed to do. In fact, that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And if you come into this place, if you're in your devotional time at home and you're praying, God, what's my next step? I'm telling you, he'll be faithful. He'll answer you and you'll know what to do next. Now, I want to jump into today's content. I read it already, but it's Exodus 6.6 where God says, I will redeem you. It's the third step in the spiritual journey. I will redeem you. Now, what does that word redeem mean? In the Bible's original languages, it means to buy back. It means to restore. And I would even say uh, to restore to its original standard, to have fidelity to what it was created to be. God wants to redeem you and put you back to a spot of who you would be if sin had never existed in the world. Now, as New Testament Christians, we know that Jesus bought us back from the curse of sin and death that was shed at Calvary, but it was for a reason. The church I grew up in, I I joke about all the time, but sincerely, I mean it. It's like they were all about, you need to get saved, you need to get baptized, act right, and die. Like, that that was really it. Act right. You know, and and what about, what if I go through a hard time? Man, roll with the punches. I don't know. Read. I'm like... And, and, well, does God do any miracles or healings today? He might. I don't know. He's wild like that, I get. You know, the only problem with all of that is we never saw anybody receive a miracle in our camp, you know? So apparently God could do it, just never for us. And, and so God has more for you. He saved you actually for a purpose in the here and now. He didn't just save you so that when you died, you could begin to live and walk out your life with him. He saved you so that in the here and now, you can begin to walk out your purpose here on earth. He has a destiny for your life. Say amen. Now think about Moses in this uh, context. He's talking to Israel, but they're slaves to Egypt, yeah? And he's trying to convey to them, I did not create you to be a bunch of slaves making bricks all day. Like, that's not my highest potential for your life is that you're a brickmaker. There's more. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a brickmaker. But what he was saying for them is that's, that's not what I called you to do. Certainly not here, at least. He said, I've called you for greater things. And what the, the children of Israel were supposed to be in that season, they were supposed to be people that were, were restored to God's original intent, free, living in the promised land, right? And modeling to the whole world what it looked like to be a person that was uh, walking and, and demonstrating God's goodness and his blessing to the whole world. Well, how much more is that the call of the Christian church today, yeah? That's, that's what God has called us to do, to model to this whole world that God takes care of his kids, that God's going to see you through, that God has purpose in you that you can make a difference in this world, and he has a plan for your life. He's thought about it. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, remember that, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork there in the Greek would, would convey that you're God's craftsmanship, that he crafted you, he, he forged you. Another translation would say that you're God's masterpiece. Like it makes me happy to realize that God, I don't know if spent time is the way to convey it, but how about this? He was intentional about you, intentional about how he made you. Some of your likes and your dislikes, some of, some of the things that make you uniquely you, your personality and characteristics, your gifts and your talents, they were put there by God. And, and he made you the way that you are on purpose. And, and he saved you in Jesus so that you could actually leverage who he made you to be for influence in this world. It says that you're God's handiwork. It says that he prepared these great things 
in advance. Way before time ever existed, in advance, God set in you what he's called you to be and what he's called you to do. Let me put it this way. God's not taken off guard when you have a little quirk or have some, some wild interest in something. You're, you know, like me, I can veg out watching modern marvels for a whole day and not even realize that the time's gone by. That's a little quirky, you know? But God's leveraged that because you like the way I teach, where I, I bring in a little bit of history, and I bring in a little bit of the context. And see, see, God wants to use those things about you. He's not taken off guard. He's not like, time out. These, they're, they're growing into some sort of, I don't know, weirdo. Call a meeting of the Trinity. What are we going to do? We're going to have to come up with some sort of job for them to do in this earth. I mean, what a nut. I mean, they got to feel fulfilled. No, he prepared it for you in advance. Say amen, somebody. Like before you, uh, that, that you were known by your mother in, in, in her womb, God, God put a call on your life. Before he knew you, before he formed you, you had a call in Jesus. And before he ever breathed life in you, he knew that you'd accept him. And he knew the great things that he had called you to. Guys, in Acts, the Bible says that he knows the exact seasons and times that you would live. He has a plan for his people. So write this down. You were born on purpose for a purpose. Write that down. You were born on purpose. And I know some of us buy into the lie of the enemy that you were some sort of accident. You were some sort of mistake. That, that, that your parents were really done having kids and you surprised them. And so you were an accident in that story. Or maybe they really wanted a boy or they really wanted a girl. And so you were born the opposite of what you were supposed to be born as. Or you bought into the idea that because of the lineage that you were born into, that you'll never make a difference. It was an accident what happened to you. Listen to me. The kingdom of God has no accidents. You are who you are because God breathed that life into you. The spiritual you, the truest you, looks exactly like who God has called you to be. You can mutilate yourself, call yourself something different, or run from God your entire life, but you are not who others say that you are. You are who God says that you are. Amen, somebody. And so God made you on purpose for a purpose. He's gifted and equipped, equipped you for something great. That's the reason why you're here. You're here on earth to make a difference, to do something. Let me make it a little bit clearer. You're here on earth to solve a problem, like, like one that only you can solve, something that God has put in you. And it's so important for us to understand why, because this is the essence of discipleship. Being a disciple of, of Jesus, following him, it's the process, really, of figuring out why you were made, and then living out his best and his personal call for your life here on earth. It's the Bible idea, in fact, jot this down, of having a redemptive calling. Like when he redeemed you, there's purpose and calling that he wants to reveal to you. That was there. But when you're redeemed, what are you redeemed to? He wants to take you back to the original standard, originally what you would have been if sin had never existed here on earth, the truest you. And that plan from God will make you the truest you. You won't have to fake it. You won't have to be somebody who you're not. Listen to me. Don't be afraid of becoming some crazy church person. If there's anybody that doesn't fit into the mold of a church person, it's the pastor at New Chapel. I don't fit into the mold very well. I'm going to tell you something. I'm the truest me because of Jesus. Amen, somebody? Discipleship then, write it down. It's not just learning about God. It's living for him. 
Yeah, discovering, who am I, God? Who have you called me to be? Sure, living out his best. But if you make discipleship all about just learning more things that you need to do to please God, that's not how it works. It's being the person who he's called you to be. I know. There's Christians, especially in our area, that love to spend all their time just dissecting the scriptures. And there's nothing wrong, listen to me, with studying the word. I study the word. I, and I do it not because I'm a pastor. I do it because I'm a Christian. But, but, but there's people that are all about just that, and they, they lock themselves away. And it's really because they've looked at God through the wrong lens. Let me tell you why. In America, we have something that uh, could be well said as a Greek style of learning. This has really trickled down from Aristotle and, and Plato and these type of guys. And the idea is that you're being taught things. And, and listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with being taught things. In fact, Jesus had a Greek style in some of the ways that he taught. He had multitudes of people that he would teach to, that, that Jesus would, would help people that were on the, 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 the fishing boat. He would help them out and teach to them. And he would teach people on a mountainside, similar to what we're doing today. But a higher form, and really more of the essence of what discipleship holds for all of us is a Hebrew style of learning. And what does that look like? Maybe jot this down. It's to come alongside someone. It's not just to talk at them. It's, it's to come alongside them and explain things. So when Jesus comes to the disciples, right, and he calls them and he says, I'm going to breathe new life into you. I'm going to breathe destiny into your life. I'm going I'm I'm to help you to be a disciple. You know what he didn't do? He didn't say, okay, guys, take out a sheet of paper. Now I'm going to give you three Ps to becoming the best disciple on earth, right? And listen, I'm a preacher. I love my three Ps list, and I love my little check marks, and I love my li- Why? It helps you to remember, but that's, that's not discipleship. That's good teaching, but that's not discipleship. What did Jesus do? He said, hey, come alongside me. Walk with me. Live with me. Together, you and I are going to pray for the sick. Together, you and I are going to cast out demons and, and see the, 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 the people that are in bondage and in leprosy and in poverty. We're going to see them freed and taken care of. And, 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 and we together are going to make a difference. And then I'm, I'm going to send you out to go make a difference in the rest of the world. Do you see the difference? It's, it's, it's learning it by being immersed into it. And he comes alongside us and shows us his best for our life. Gang, that's, that's the journey that he has you on even today. And I get it that it might be mind-blowing to you because you're like, man, how does that work? Man, do I need to show up at Pastor Joe's house like tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. and have breakfast? with? If you do, you might be met by a dog and a gun. I'm just telling you. But <laughs> and I'm country. I got a shovel, okay? So that's the third piece of that story. But uh, (laughs) it's not so important that you and I spend every waking moment together. It's that you develop a relationship with God, that you'd know him, that you'd wake up and have breakfast with him, that, that you would be aware that he is alongside you and that he's showing you things. Does that make sense, everybody? And so that's the calling of every Christian. You're going to remember that the rest of your life, aren't you? It's to become someone, not just learn something academically. And sure, it's important for us to learn. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to diminish that, but discipleship is not a class. 
You hear what I'm saying? It's not something that you can check off the list. It's living out your calling before God. And we have too many church people that are trying to learn and nom, 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 take in more. And they're just more, more, more word and more, more, more church. Well, the world is dying and going to hell, but you have a great notebook filled with notes. And so my belief is this. You don't have to make the discernment. In fact, I think that they pair together well. But we have to get this American concept of just more up here learning, and we have to go out and be a disciple of Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Yeah, that, that's your God. Let me just hammer this home a little bit more. He didn't say go into all the world and preach poetic messages to the Christians so they can nod their head big at you and give you snaps. No. He said, go out with this message to a dying world and give them this good news, encourage people, do life alongside them so that they accept me, so that they become people on a, on a track of becoming more like me, so that they take the journey with you. They follow you as you follow Christ. That's the difference that we're called to make. So when you step out into this discipleship process, you need to know that the destination, if you will, the promised land is actually better than what you could like imagine for yourself. We know that because of the story of the children of Israel. Later in their narrative, it says this in Joshua chapter 24. It says, You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho, and Jericho was just the first city in the promised land that they came against, okay? The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, Nicotnite, <laughs> Crystallite, Dynamite. Lord help us. Stop, 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 stop. Pizza bites. Verse 12. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, you did not do it. Remember that. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. What does the promised land look like, Pastor Joe? It looks like you being over companies that you didn't start. It looks like you being a person that's experiencing blessing in your life that you didn't have to work so hard for. It just, man, God's grace brought it to you. It looks like relationships that you think are way out of your grasp, that God brings those. That's the concept of a divine connection, a divine relationship, that God would bring those into your life, and it accelerates you like none of your scheming could. You did not do it. It, that's what it looks like. God puts you into a spot of promise, into a spot of, of being in your sweet spot, and you're being able to reap things that you did not sow. Well, man, Pastor Joe, that sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like a lot of effort. Sounds like you're on the precipice of making me sign up for a team or something. You know, like, I see you coming. And guys, you have to remember, you did not do it. That he wants to put you over that spot in a sweet, and it's not that it's without any effort. It's not that you're not going to do anything. It's not that you're not going to have contribution. Listen to me, you will. But, but God will grace you for everything that he's called you to do. 
It's not going to kill you to do it. It's not going to be diminished returns when you take that step. God will be faithful when you're faithful to him. Say amen, somebody. And this is a great picture of what the Holy Spirit wants to work out in our life. He wants to take our gifts and our talents and leverage them for that reason. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. My servant's heart group, you know this passage. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. A spiritual gift is given to, say it with me, given to each of us so that we can help each other. Each of us! Write that down. Circle that in your Bible with a crayon over and over and over again. Like You'll have to buy a new Bible because all you can read on that page is each of us. Tattoo it on your forehead. Don't forget it. Make it your life first. Because what you need to realize is Western Michigan's like, man, I want to see God do great things. Go get them, pastor. And the reality is it's each of us together that are going to make the difference in this world. It's not just me. Each of us. Every person that calls themselves Christian, listen to me, it's going to take you. It's going to take your giftedness. It's going to take your wisdom. Some of you older people, you think, oh, man, I missed my ship. The devil's a liar. No, you haven't missed your ship. You need to plug into leadership here. Help me lead this thing. You got wisdom as a Christian? Great. I have a bunch of young families at the church. Do you think they would want some sort of role model? You know what the Bible says about the last days? That in the last days, we would be a broken and fatherless generation. The number one thing I hear from the young families at our church is that we have no example. We have no example of a godly family that's doing it ahead of us. And so, gang, listen, it's going to take all of us. And don't count yourself out, young family. Oh, well, unless I'm busy with all these kids. Uh, get on the team. Get a life. <laughs> Serve God. Well, I'm so busy. and Pray at home. Pray like crazy. Pray for your kids. Get that out of your system. And start praying for us. <laughs> Pray for me. Pray for that we would advance this thing. You know what I'm saying? It's going to take all of us, each and every one of us. And the troubling thing, the tragedy of it all, there was a study recently that says 80% of the body of Christ have no idea what their spiritual gift is. We're called as Christians to function in the body of Christ, but friend, if you don't know what you're even supposed to do or what your gift even is, yeah, you're going to sit for a decade or five, but God has more for you. How much more effective would his church be if we knew our gift, our, 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 our grace gift, our spiritual gift from God, and if we took a step and started to walk in it? How much more effective would this thing be? I tell you what, we'd, we'd wrap up this end-time harvest in no time, wouldn't we? We'd see so many more people get on fire for God, and it's not at your expense. It's actually the fulfillment of why you're here. More on that next week. But, gang, that's why we're all about New Chapel Connect here at church. And you're new. You don't know what it is. Let me just tell you. We do it after the second service, like every week, maybe except for fifth Sundays. But the first four weeks of any month, typically they're four weeks, we have New Chapel Connect. It's only two parts, so we do it two times in the course of a month. If you want to join the church, that's the first week where we give you the vision and we say, hey, you can partner with the vision. It's called Partnership One. The second week, we, we give you the vision, we write the vision, we make it plain, but the second week, we, we get you engaged in it. We show you how to get into a group and get plugged in. So you're part of the church. We don't have membership, by the way. I just found that it doesn't work, especially in Western Michigan. You think that it's like a country club and I'm, well, I'm a member here, well, big deal. And so, so we have partnership. And, and so you partner the first week, but the second week, we get you engaged. We get you serving. Well, listen, I don't know a lot about the Bible. Talk to the rest of the team. I mean, you might find that you're in good company. 
It's not about being perfect. It's about sharing the freedom that you have. And so listen, after second service today, I invite you, go out, do your shopping at Target, come back, and, and, and after second service, we have lunch for you, we have Coke and water, and, and I'm going to be here personally in this first session. You can join the church. And here's the thing. It's not because I want you to go through another thing. It's because I need you to find your gifts and what God has called you to do so you can thrive in this Christian world and we can stop playing church, everybody. We can be who God's called us to be, live in our redemptive calling because we all have a spiritual gift. Now, our redemptive calling is the only one in this list of four things that has a description attached to it, right? Salvation, deliverance, redemption, and, and influence, making that difference, right? Him taking us as his own people. But the only one that it describes in detail is redemption. Here's what it says. Exodus 6.6, 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Now, listen to me. Both of these are important, massive, in fact. And if you miss them or misunderstand them, it, it'll really paralyze you in your faith. And it's, it's a big deal because we often misunderstand God. We don't think of God as this dad with an outstretched arm. We think of God as a mean God. We think of him as severe and judgmental. We think of him as harsh, don't we? I mean, so sometimes we fall into that. And it couldn't be further from the truth, but here's the reality. What you believe about God will determine how you approach God. It'll, it'll determine how you serve him. It'll determine whether you trust him or not. So the first week we talked about that. If you have, this, you have this idea that God's mean and angry at you and severe, you're not going to be able to serve him in the way that he's called you to be because you're going to think weird things when he calls you to do something. You're going to think there's severity at play, and you're going to miss him. Jesus actually talked about that in the parable of the talents. I'm going to share that story, but <laughs> I think a great way to set it up is this. I went driving this past week uh, down to Oklahoma. I went on a hunt. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Uh, I was telling people it's not really about the hunt. We were hunting quail, which is fun, uh, but it was really about getting other pastors together in a room, and, and uh, the, the man that I would call my pastor, Willie George, was really, man, for hours sowing into us the Word of God. It was amazing, and I've, I'm at a spot in my life, at least for the next couple years, where I'm not going to be doing any flying. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of driving. You say, Why? I don't need cell phone video of me getting pulled off a plane while I'm screaming, put on CNN in the evening, and so... A lot to that. You can read between the lines. But, uh, so I'm going to be doing a lot of driving. And uh, things have changed a little bit since I've been using my Maps app on my iPhone. And so I'm driving down 44. I'm almost to 55, which changes over in St. Louis. And uh, Siri pops up, and she's like, hey, you can save five minutes if you go, like, whatever, 50 miles out of your way and go over here and, and just hit accept, and you can do that, and we'll reroute you. Now, here's the deal. I've been through some stuff like you have in the last little bit. So my initial thought is, not today, Gretch. You're not going to get me going off on some, okay, sorry. Devil, you're not going to, I'm not, I'm not listening to you, big tech. Big tech. <laughs> Stop. So I, I'm not trusting of those things anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm on some list somewhere. You just know it. Um, and so I want to like get a couple other apps out to make sure that I'm like, 
And by the time I've done that, I've wasted the five minutes that it was going to take me. But I'm thinking like, why am I going 57 miles out of the way? That's, I've never gone that way before. I'm not going off the expressway and I've got this big old van they gave me because the Jetta wasn't available at the rent a place. And I'm going to get caught behind some semi in a back road. Like, what's going on? I don't, I don't trust this. I don't naturally trust what's going on. I don't believe what, what's happening. And the reality is many of us ascribe that same characteristic to God. Let me read for you a little bit of the parable of the talents. God had shared this story through Jesus, and it's about a landowner. And this landowner, he, he represents God in the story. He gets these three servants, and he gives them talents. Now, that is a word that we think of as a, as a talent that you'd have, like, I don't know, juggling or being able to you know, do a certain craft. Let's say you're an engineer, okay? Um, in Bible times, talent was actually a financial term. And it was a lot of money. And so to the first servant, he gave like five talents. To the second one, he gave two. And to the third guy, he gave one talent. So the, the landowner, he, he leaves, he goes away. When he comes back, he wants to reconcile all his accounts together. And so he brings all three of the guys. He says, okay, guy one, how'd you do? And he doubled it. And the second guy that had two talents, he doubled it. And then they, they get to the third guy, and he's like, I, I buried it. Now, what's interesting is this. Jesus, in the story, as the landowner, is an example of God. He commends the men who doubled it, even though one has now ten and the other has four. See, that's a great picture for you. God doesn't judge you or, or relate to you based on other people. He, he's going to relate to you based on what he's called you to do. He has a calling on your life, and you need to leverage that for increase. And when faithfulness is not showing up, everybody, faithfulness is being fruitful with what God has given you. And so he commends both of them the same way. Pretty interesting point. But the second guy, he had this idea that the landowner or God in the story was severe. He said, I know that you're a hard man, and you want a whole bunch of things. And he ascribes a whole bunch of negative expectations to the landowner. And what Jesus does, he says, get out of here. You don't even know what you're doing. That severe perspective is what made it so he didn't have the increase that he could have had. He saw God as hard to please, judgmental, and because of it, he buried his talent. My belief is this. Our church is taking in a lot of people right now, some of which you're new to Christianity. You're our ideal target. Some of you have been de-churched, whether by choice or other, and you're here, and I'm glad you're here. Okay, Jesus chooses your church, hear me, but I'm glad you're here. What you need to get on the same page with is this. God is not severe. God is good. He is loving. He's kind. He's gentle to his kids. And if you think of him as severe and he puts fear into you, the fear of God has nothing to do with being afraid of God. It has to do with severe respect for what he's doing in your life. So have that. Have that and say, God, I, I respect, I can see what you're doing in me and what you're trying to build in me, and I see you as a loving father, and, and I trust that with your outstretched arm that saved me, it'll be the same outstretched arm that's going to make me into everything that you've called me to be. Can I get an amen, church? Say amen, somebody. We need that perspective of God. Because if you don't have it, you're going to miss it. We need to have the perspective that his, his mercies are new every morning. That great is his faithfulness. That God doesn't forsake the righteous. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching better than y'all letting on. That's the perspective that we need to have. That with an outstretched arm, our God will see us through. And then it says in that passage that with mighty acts of judgment, well, gosh, that sounds a little bit contradictory. I mean, we were just like on a high. I'm like, yes, his mercies. And then you're like, Ugh. 
It's only like that if you think that those, those mighty acts of judgment are for you. They're not for you. They're reserved for his enemies. That's what it's saying in the passage. And it's clear because the story goes on to talk about ten plagues against the enemies of God, not the children of Israel. That his wrath is not reserved for the righteous. It's for those opposing him. The mighty acts of judgment are actually something that can take down the enemy that stands in our way. And so, sure, the devil doesn't want you to get to heaven, but if you're already saved, he will settle to come and bring opposition against you so you don't bring anyone else with you. He wants to stop you in that process, but God wants to bring mighty acts of judgment against him so that we can impact other people's lives for eternity. You know, when you're just sitting on the sidelines in Christianity, you're not really doing a lot for God, you just agree with what I'm saying, we're not doing what the Bible says, then, then there's not a lot of opposition in your life. I mean, you might have something bad because we live in a fallen world, but I'm telling you, some of you have realized it. The moment that you stand up in this culture, the moment that you take a stand, you say, I'm going to stand for righteousness' sake. I'm going to make a difference. The moment you sign up for, for, for the team or, or, or to serving kids or to brew coffee, I'm telling you, all hell breaks loose. Car breaks down and your kids start back talking to you and, and the AC breaks and you get a flat tire and your dog, like, I don't know, like, like starts making white poops in the lawn and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Like, and, and you're like, oh God, you've forsaken me. What's going on? I'm, I'm facing so much opposition. And, and, and the reality is God has not forsaken you. You're actually starting to make an impact on this world. You're actually doing things that make an eternal difference. And the devil doesn't like it. Yeah. There's a great altar call. I wish more churches would actually say it though, don't you? That when you get into this thing, you're going to face hell. Well, that doesn't sound like the gospel. Well, let me just give you some gospel words. The standard for our theology is Jesus, right? I'm going to quote him. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so the devil might knock. My encouragement, Christian, is this. Knock back. Stop putting out the fires that he puts in your life and start starting more fires for him to start chasing you around with. Say amen, somebody. You and I have an enemy that is trying to fight against us tooth and nail. And what you need to remember as a Christian is that the devil is a defeated foe. That when Jesus was on the cross of Calvary and he said, it is finished, he defeated the enemy of your life. And now you can take authority over all that attack and opposition and you can watch your God with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment make a way where there seemed to be no way. Can I get an amen, church? Now, that takes us back to the story in Exodus of the children of Israel. There's two steps that I think you need to know before we leave today that, 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 that are so important because the devil will attack you. And if you don't, you don't realize that it is attack or if you, don't, if you don't understand what to do when he attacks, you're going to miss out. Exodus chapter 14, if you would. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by hard word between, <laughs> between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Zac Ephron. <laughs> Must be the beach scene in the Bible. I don't know. <laughs> then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. He will chase after you, and I have planned this. 
in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told to do. The first step that you need to know in this whole thing is you're going to have to learn to trust God. You're going to have to learn to trust him. You have to learn to trust the things that you don't understand. God doesn't need you to understand everything that he's going to do. He just needs you to obey. He needs you to trust the process. And sometimes God will give you instructions that don't make sense. It's like when I'm putting in the map app and it's telling me to go backwards to go forwards and it doesn't add up. God will tell you to do things like that. For some of you in the room, he's telling you to do it now. The Lord says, I need you to back up a little bit. I need you to step down from leading that group because I need you to do some preparation, some study, because I've got something else I want you to launch. I want you to sell that thing that you have. That's oh, my toy. Yeah, sell that. Sell that. And he calls us to take a step backward because he has more, because he has greater things, and it's counterintuitive, isn't it? I get it. It is. And we get kind of funny about that. All of a sudden, you weren't so spiritual, but now, I mean, you're looking for seven confirmation words from the Lord because that's his number. I think he likes that one, you know. And you want an angel to appear to you. You want like a word and an interpretation. And, and that song needs to come on the radio that always comes on when you're crying and having a bad day. And that's when I'm going to know that this is God for me to step back because, God, you're a, you're a forward God, not a... But sometimes he asks you to take a step back in order to take a big step forward. Write it down. What we see is a setback. I think God looks at it and he says, that's my setup for you. Any bow hunters in the room? It doesn't go very far when you go, oh, that's hard. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> Puts hair in your chest if you go way back like this. That's what my grandpa used to say. You know what I'm saying? It's the further back you get, and it's not comfortable. There's a tension there, isn't there? Aha, there's the rub. There's a tension to walking things out with God, but I'm here to tell you that when you do it and you take the step back and trust him, that's where you're going to see his goodness. Now, not every step back is because of him. Sometimes he calls you to do it. Sometimes life will just deliver it to you. I think about Joseph in the Bible who had this great dream and vision from God to have influence and be, be a person in leadership. And all of a sudden, as soon as he gets it, he's betrayed. He's thrown in a pit. He's sold into slavery. He's wrongfully accused of sex sin. You think it's got a taboo on it now? It was taboo back then. That puts a stigma on who you are. Everybody thinks he's a pervert. He's put in prison, wrongfully imprisoned, for years of his life. And, and, and what does God do? Eventually, he, he uses all of that as a setup for him to be brought into influence. And this is what Joseph says after it's all done. He's not like, man, well, I really wish that wouldn't have happened. This is what he says in Genesis 50. You intended to harm me, devil, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The devil means it for bad. God means it for good. That, that, that means, what does that mean? It's like God didn't intend the negative thing that happened, but he can like, he can re-intend it. And that, my friends, is the Bible word redemption. I wish sometimes that God would pluck me out of the hard things that I'm going through. But what I find is he likes to actually see me through the hardship. And then leverage the hardship to take me further than what I ever could have gone if I wouldn't have gone through it at all. Wow. Write this down. Even if God didn't ordain it, here's what I've learned. He will redeem it. Even if he didn't call for it to happen. There's some step backs that he, he asked you to take that step back. 
But there's something that's just happened in this world, and it just is a step back by default. Though he may not have ordained it, God will leverage every last bit of it in your life. And what I think what God would say to some of you in the room is, I did not ordain for you to go through that sickness or that pain, or, or, or for you to go through that betrayal, or that massive problem, or that accusation, or adversity in your life, but I sure can use it. And on the other end, you'll be so much further than you were even without it. I promise you, I'll make it right by you. I promise you, we'll use it for my glory. I promise you that it'll be used for your advance. And the Bible says in the book of Psalms, so he can make your name great. That's what God wants to do. And I know that the devil attacks us. And he thinks that he's really taking ground. He's going to get away with it. But God will use all of those things and spring the trap on the enemy. You know, after you go through that exercise enough times of trusting God through hardship and you spring the trap in the enemy's face and you go further than if the devil would have never attacked, you know, you put a little stigma on him. It's called negative reinforcement. I do it on my kids' butts. <laughs> And you can do it on the devil's butt. You do that enough, and he stops messing with you in that area. You can have victory in that area and not face the attack and temptation and issues that you've had. But that's, that's good preaching, everybody. So Pharaoh, he, he sees them take this step back, and he's like, man, what did I do? I just gave away our whole force. They built all these great things here. I'm going to go get them. They're in a vulnerable spot. They're turning back. So he goes after them for attack. This is what it says in Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, verse 10, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. And that is a word from God for some of the people in the sound of my voice today. Why are you crying about what's happened? Get moving. Get up off your blessed assurance and begin to serve God. If the devil's running at, get up. And, and listen to me, number two, write it down. The second thing you need to know, start to move. I don't know what to do. Well, don't sit there. Get, get up. Start to do something. Start to move. Start to make a, some headway, some ground. And I'm not trying to make light of some of the adversity that some of you have faced in the room. I'm not that guy at all. You might be wrestling with God today and really asking him why. God, why am I going through this? Why am I facing that person that walked out of my life? Why am I facing that broken relationship? Why am I facing the abuse that I have suffered or am suffering? God, why, why have I dealt with the pain of abuse or, or, or sickness in my life? Why, why have I gone through these things? And listen to me, my heart breaks for you. And I don't know the reason why you face some of the things that you have in this world. I don't know. Some things we'll better understand on the other side of eternity, yeah? But what I can tell you is this, and it's a hard truth, that if you just sit there and cry and moan and live your life out of the past, I'm telling you, you will miss the promised land that God has for you. You, you won't make it there. And it's hard, but you have to let it go. You can't hold on to that. You can't make excuses for why you can't. You have to get up and begin to make some headway. You can't stay there. You have to make a move. 
God's best is never going to be found in self-pity. It's not going to be found when, when, when you're crying. We have to stop crying because my Bible says this, Isaiah 43. Forget, forget, forget the former things. The Bible says do not dwell on the past. See that I am doing a new thing. That's what God wants to do in your life. And if you dwell on what was, guys, you're going to miss what God has. And so write it down. Your future is never found it's never found in your past. It's never found in what it was. You can leverage things that you experience for, for, for good, but your future isn't there. God might have a completely different destiny for you than what you were, you were born into, than what you naturally could do in your own gifts and talents and ability. He will grace you to go further. We have to trust in God's future. And so God had a plan for the nation of Israel. Yeah, he also has a plan for you and I. And you might be thinking the same way that they did. So Pharaoh, in, in the story, he's threatening them. And him and his whole army's coming down. They've taken a step back. And what it's done is it's actually put them in a, a spot next to the beach that has this small cavern that they were able to get into. So as Pharaoh begins to come, there's no way for them to escape. They can't go back, Pharaoh will get them, and they're facing a sea. Sea on one side, Pharaoh on the other side. And they feel pressed in that moment. Now, God did something that only God can do. So Moses lifts his hands towards heaven, and I'm telling you, the sea parted in half. But that was not the greatest miracle of that story because God parts seas for you and I every day. The great part of that story, you read your Bible, is when they picked up their stuff and started to move as the sea was parted. When they began to move, that was the great miracle because if they don't do their part, all of God's part doesn't do anything. They still get massacred. They had to trust and take a step in faith. That's why they picked up their stuff. And that's what faith is. Faith is not you having all of the steps figured out before you take the first step. The, 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 the great miracle of faith is you taking steps towards the water before you really know how this is all going to pan out. You know, you read the Bible, and in one story, you have a story about uh, uh, the, the man of God ripping a lion's mouth open by his jaws. You're like, man, that's a miracle. But then in another book over, you read about how a man of God slept with a whole bunch of lions. See, God doesn't have to do it the same way each time. So you might be against the sea. It might be parting of the seas. It might be God brings a boat along. It might be another army shows up. It might be angels appear over you. You can't be committed to what God, you think God is going to do. You have to be committed to God who can do miraculous things and trust him through the process. And in a moment, he can show you future opportunities that you never saw before because it's he that opens the door. But it's when you walk in faith. Verse 31. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him, and they put their faith in God. What happened? The seas parted. They walked through. God held off Egypt. Just as they were getting out, he released them. They rushed in to go get them. And as the last Hebrew boy gets out of that water, God, he takes the, the Red Sea, and he puts it back together, and it eats up all of the Egyptian army in a moment. That's a miracle. Do you see then why it cannot happen if you're sitting around in a pity party? Do you see why it can't happen if you're sitting in apathy, crying? And here's the paradox, and this is the hardest truth. At your lowest, at the time when the enemy's coming against you the worst, 
that's actually the moment where you have to take the boldest step of faith. That's where you have to pick up your junk and say, God, I don't get it, but there was another in the fire that, God, you sent Jesus on the cross for me, that the tomb is empty, that, that God, I, I can face uh, an army of people, and a thousand may fall at my right and 10,000 at my left, and it doesn't have to add up, but I'm going to walk through because I trust you. God, you, you've never forsaken the righteous nor seen his seed begging bread. God, you, you've made it so wherever I walk, I can, I can claim for the gospel. My feet tread where the gospel goes. God, you, you've anointed me that I I have healing in my hand, vision in my eyes, hope in my mouth. God, God, there's a vision for the future for me, and I'm going to take the step. And that, my friends, is your part in redemption. Say amen. Then what will happen? Your life will be filled with amazing God stories. And you'll tell about his goodness to your kids. You'll talk about companies that you didn't start and talk about a harvest that you didn't plant. You'll talk about his goodness shown in your life despite whatever you came from. And that, my friends, is part of the gospel, the good thing that he wants to work in you. It'll draw people to Jesus. He wants to take care of his kids. He wants to take care of you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I feel like God just wants to talk to you for a second that he's ministering right now in this room. Some of you, you've, you've bought into the lie that you don't have time for moments like this, and so God is really stopping everything so you have this moment. He wants to tell you the next step. Somebody in here is waiting for words to show up. It might not even be audible or hear words. It might just be you visualizing a person's face or seeing that next step that you're supposed to take. I know by the Spirit of God, somebody's envisioning themselves here. And you think it's natural before I said it because you said, I could see myself here. And what God's doing is confirming that. He's confirming that. Thank you, Lord. And I know by the Spirit of God right now, somebody's thinking about moving. And you've questioned it over and over again. And in kind with the example we gave of the seven fleeces and the angel and a whole bunch of confirmations, you want to serve God, but at this point, I think you know that you're stalling. Let me just give you the confirmation. You're thinking about moving? That's a yes from God. That's a yes. You should do that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you, God. Lord, we love your people. Love you, Lord. Love you, Jesus. The last time you were alone in a car, you prayed and said, God, I'm just exhausted. I'm just so tired. I don't know. We tell you something. God sees you, and he's for you. And here's the hard truth. You have to stop crying. You're going to have to take the step and you made it here today, good for you. Take your next step. There's joy on the other side of your decision. Thank you, Jesus. Love you, Lord. Love you, Jesus. Let's just wait here for a second. This might be awkward for you. It's not for me. I'm good. Just wait here for a second.
Thank you, Lord. What I see is like a shield, but it's not the shield of faith. And what I think is that there's somebody in here, maybe a couple people, I don't know, but at least one, and you've been putting on, it's not a shield, it's like cardboard. You've been putting on a face, really. And you've been acting like someone who you're not. God doesn't need another duplicate of someone else in this world. He wants you. God doesn't need you to fake it so the church people think whatever. Who cares what the church people have to think? If they're not gracious and loving and kind, maybe they shouldn't be here anyway. You need to be real when you're here. And I don't think it's bravado. And when I think about it, and this might just be out of the flesh, when I think of the shield, I think that it's a defense mechanism for you. I don't think you're doing it trying to put on a big show, though there's a part of it that you take comfort in. But there's a realness that God wants to birth in you today. Maybe that's just being honest with somebody in prayer here. Maybe that's taking another step in your group. If you're in a group, I don't know. But God wants you to be real because whatever you're trying to guard against, there it is. That thing that happened to you wasn't your fault. But you're trying to guard it because you're ashamed of it. And you don't want people to know because it's a shameful thing. Jesus took your shame. You have to be ashamed of that. You can be real here. And God will stop this whole service to speak to you. Make us go a little long. But the believers in the room have been waiting for moments like this. Thank you, God. God loves you so much. He's in love with you, not your shield. And it might feel a little bit dismantling when he takes down all of that stuff, but he's going to build the best you. He wants to turn, according to Ephesians, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, he wants to turn your weakness into strength. And that part of you that you want to hide so badly, that's actually going to become one of your great weapons against the enemy. Yeah. God says if you use it, a lot of other people who are going through the same thing would be made free. Hallelujah. You know what? When I said that, that person that I'm talking to, and it's one, let me tell you something. You want other people to be free, but you don't think you can be free or that you deserve to be free. Take your shield right now, just even in your heart, and lower it. There's your God, full of love and acceptance, forgiveness. He'll, he'll take that in a moment. Put your feet on a rock. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every Christian praying. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Love you. That's all. With heads bowed, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice, you don't know God. The only way to make peace with your God is through Jesus. He made a way. If you call him Lord, if you give your life to him, make him the boss of your life, the Bible says that you'll be saved. And so we're going to say a prayer right now. Christians are going to say it with you as a declaration of their faith. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to say this prayer together. Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ 
is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. I ask you to forgive my sins. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ in here. Proud of you. Now listen, if you just accepted Christ or maybe you received a word today and God was speaking to you, maybe you need prayer for something, let us know about that. The connection cards that I described, they are, of course, over on the walls. You can grab one of those and fill them out in person. But listen, another way, maybe more discreetly, maybe before you leave this room, you should pull out your phone and go to newchapel.com slash amen. And let us know that you either took that step of faith and accepted Christ or that you have a request or that you had a breakthrough or God had a word for you. We want to stand with you in faith. And all of those end up on my desk. Don't you want to know that somebody is praying for you by name, everybody? So listen, make sure you fill those out. And one more time, New Chapel, loud and proud for those people that accepted Christ. Great job. Hey, stand up on your feet, gang. Did you get anything out of this message? I'm excited. I'm excited about next week. Everybody say next week. We're going to be concluding this series and also really releasing you guys uh, into the wild to bring your friends and family out of hiding and into the house of God for Easter. I think that a lot of people are on the end of the diving board and man, they're just a little bit leery about, man, I don't know, is the water cold? What's going to happen? And what you need to do is be like, it's Easter and slap them on the back as hard as you can. And so... um, we're going to be talking a little bit about that next week, but I want you to be thinking about who God's calling you to. It's a big deal, and I think that what we're going to use Easter as is really a launch point for people that have been dechurched to be able to come out of hiding and come home into the house of God. Uh, I want to tell you a couple of announcements. Of course, Partnership One after Second Service, I talked about that. Small groups, if you want more info about that, guest services is a great place, or newchapel.com slash groups. Our groups uh, have grown throughout this semester, some of which every single week have grown. And so uh, you're, you're not going to miss anything. If you just come in for the last couple of weeks of that, it's all good. Hey, we're having baptisms again because that's the season that our church is in, yeah? And so it's the week after Easter. It's April 11th. You want to make sure that if you haven't been baptized, you can either sign up or just show up. If you know somebody and they they need to take that next step, we're going to offer that on that day. Uh, We have some cool outreaches that we have planned uh, in the community. I'm not going to take up a ton of time with that right now, but go to guest services if you're interested in going out there and reaching out to other people. And then don't forget about next week. It is also Palm Sunday. Now, at New Chapel, we celebrate Palm Sunday in style with Sundays, Palm Sundays. And so we're going to have ice cream with some really healthy toppings. Not healthy. And uh, it's going to be a great opportunity for your kids and friends to be able to come into the house for that. And we're also going to have communion. Uh, not that we have a works mentality, but we're just believing God that he takes away the calories and carbs from the ice cream if we take communion. So um, just kidding, but make sure that you come next week for all of that. Hey, I love you, my wife, the team, we love you, and we're so excited about what God is doing. Bring somebody next week. It's beginning to heat up in Grand Rapids. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great week. 
We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.